When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When Shopify says you can sell anywhere, oh, they mean it. Woo, hold up. Just got a new sale, order fulfilled, and shipped. Inventory level's good. Whoa, Shopify doesn't mind if you're at sea level. Or on top of the world. Ah, you can run and grow your business anywhere. Climbing mountains is never easy, but at least Shopify gives me all the tools I need for my business to hit new beats. Whether you're selling carabiners or crop tops, start selling with Shopify today and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. We've built the platform so you can keep climbing and grow your business to new heights. With Shopify, you really can sell to anyone from anywhere. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free22. Shopify.com slash free22. Shopify.com slash free22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or seafloors. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast network product. Some said we'd go belly up. So we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic podcast, The Raiders are one of the greatest franchises in NFL history, period. Their greatest teams played in the 70s, and it's a shame it only produced one trophy. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr. All right, we're ready. We got paperwork. Get all my papers together. Let's go. NFL historians and lovers of sports history, welcome in. This show is for you. If you already know this stuff, though, that's great. All right, good for you. But remember, there's somebody out there that does not know. So, you know, make some room. Then pull up a chair next to you. All right, don't talk while I'm talking, though. This show is for those who don't know as much about NFL history. So we're here to do three things, and that is enlighten, teach, and learn. This is the Behind the Mic podcast. I am your host, Michael Neal Jr. This show is presented by Billy Up Sports, the Billy Up Sports Podcast Network, BillyUpSports.com. Go to it, click on it, read the stories and the articles. We have some great content as well as content creators, YouTube channels, as well as all these podcasts that are starting on our home base of Spreaker. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. But you can especially find my show, except on YouTube. I ain't got there yet. All right, it's cold in here. Uh, I don't know how long this show is going to be, but when I'm done, I'm done, okay? I'm not on next week. Just so you know right up front, 
You get a week off because I'm taking a week off. I'm on vacation next week. I'm taking my family away from this place. I need some rest. I do. But I mean, I love doing this though. I really do. I really do. But I have to do it for my family. So let's let's get to it. We've been talking a lot about, you know, the great teams. We're still on that thing, right? We're going to be on that for a while. Maybe I'll give y'all a break at some point. Let you breathe. I don't know how much you're enjoying this. I may throw a little wrench in the middle and talk about the greatest tight ends of all time since Gronk retired, what, two weeks ago or something like that, a week or a half ago. But anyway, I mean, we're talking about all these great dynasties and everything and basically how they came to an end. Not so much the build up to, you know, how, you know, they dominated and stuff like that. Yeah, we're going to give you a little bit of that. We can't give you the whole history of every team. I got to leave some room for some other things to talk about. All right. But we're talking about how these not just the dynasties ended, but we're also talking about the great teams. Some of them won some championships. Some of them may not have won any at all. But there were some good teams outside of the 70s Steelers and the the Patriots of the 2000s and, you know what I mean, the, the 90s Cowboys. There were some good teams outside of them, too. Yeah, we're going to talk about the Bills at some point, Bills fans. We are. That's coming. But I'm just saying, you know, we, we're we're talking about how they came to an end, how this thing broke up, right? Um, so, I mean, with all these great teams, there's the curious case of the Oakland Raiders. The Oakland Raiders – have three titles to their credit in five tries. The Raiders have been to five Super Bowls. They got three trophies, three Lombardis. Their best teams, though, were actually in the 1970s. I believe they had, yeah, they had the most Hall of Famers on those teams as well during that time. They were such a great franchise, but they had so many other teams that were in front of them. Not saying that they all beat the Raiders, but they just beat them at the right time. So during that time, you know, with those Super Bowls and getting close to uh, getting two Super Bowls, they had the 60s Packers, you know, then it went to the Dallas Cowboys in the early years of the Miami Dolphins in the 70s. And just when you thought things were about to open up for Oakland, then came the Pittsburgh Steelers who had 42 years of losing and hadn't won a playoff game, right? But then it finally came their time, it was, during that period, in the 70s, in the middle of the 70s at, at that, there was always someone in their way. This whole series, again, we've been doing over the past couple of weeks, you know, uh, probably for, it's been more than a month now, I believe. I've asked myself for years, this is the question, I've asked myself these questions about the great teams in the NFL and the players that were on these teams and growing up watching Super Bowl memories. I've told you about that, watching ESPN's Super Bowl memories you know, hosted by Steve Sable. And I've always asked, what happened? As you hear my chair squeak in the background, my papers, what happened? That's, that's what interests me. I'm, I'm a history, uh, a historical guy. I'm a history guy. I, I love that kind of stuff. I want to know the origins of things. And I also want to know how things came to a close. I mean, it's interesting. Yeah, the stuff in the middle is great. But sometimes when you know you hear so much about the things that happened in the middle, you don't pay as much attention to the interesting stories of how the stuff, how the how the the walls came crashing down. You know what I mean? Um, for example, Super Bowl 14. You know it, that was one of the ones. It was like okay, Super Bowl 10, Pittsburgh Steelers. They they beat the Minnesota Vikings. All right, good. Then they went back to back. They won in 1975 as well. Oh, okay, cool. Um, then, you know, there was a break. Okay, what happened to him? Well, I didn't know what happened to him 
in uh, 76 and 77 at the time, but then 78 and 79, they came in, oh, they were still great and they won again. And then in the 80s, to turn uh, into the 80s, they were gone. No more Steelers. What happened? What happened to Lynn Swan? What, I, I didn't know he retired early because of concussions. I didn't know that. I didn't know that Terry Bradshaw at the time. I didn't know in 83, uh, what was it, his last touchdown pass? He tore a ligament in his elbow, and that was his career. And that year, they should have drafted Dan Marino. I didn't know that. I didn't know about the retirements. and th I didn't understand that stuff just yet. But the interesting things that happened on the in-between, I didn't know. I had no idea. I didn't know the Packers were that old when they won the last one in 1968. The 67 Packers, rather, you know, won, won it all in 68 in Super Bowl two, And then, you know, they won three championships in a row. Um, but I didn't know. I wanted to know these things. So why did these teams break up? What happened after they lost all one? What happened? You know, so I asked these questions about these teams and I would go and look at books and watch videos and try to find out what in the world happened. My questions weren't always answered. All right? I spent a lot of time for those people who are native Nashvilleans. There was a bookstore, I believe it was Walden Books on the inside of Rivergate Mall. I spent a lot of time there. When I would go to the mall with my mom, uh, I'd let her go shopping at one point, even her and my little brother and either I and my little brother would go to Walden Books and I would go pick up the same book. To this day, I cannot find that book. I'm going to find it. I always find what I'm looking for, whether I can pay for it or not. And it was a book, it's thick, it was, it was like a telephone book worth of the entire history of the NFL. They had every stat of every year and all of that stuff. Um, I think it was going all the way up to like 1993. That's where it stopped. But you know, I went, I didn't always find everything. I was too young to know where to look at the time. And it's not always, you know, talking about the dynasties, not always with them, but also the other good teams. Like I said earlier, they're around at the same time. We know what happened to a lot of them. You know, we know that some guys retired or they got hurt or got traded away or whatever. But a lot of this was born out of watching those Super Bowl memories in the first place. And the reason why I got into NFL history, and frankly, the reason why I started playing football as a kid, that's where my love of the game came from. And even how I recorded them, um, you know, my mother, I think I've told the story uh, of a tape I still have to this day. Some of you young Sparkies out there don't know anything about VHS tapes, but you could buy them and you could put them in what's called a VCR and you could hit the hit the record button and record directly off of your television. And I did that over some movies that my mother had. I think it was like, oh, my God, I can't remember. It may have been like. Uh, like one of those Steven Seagal movies I loved. Uh, the one where he's always tying somebody's arm in a bow. Uh, whatever it was, but she had Above the Law, something like that. Whatever it was, you know, she probably had like three or four movies on those videotapes. And I just grabbed one. I want. I got tired of missing them, so I wanted to be able to pop them in and watch them at will. And I recorded over them. And yeah, that was that got me in some trouble. At one point, she actually came back and... And, and and hit the record button after she stopped it in the middle of Super Bowl five. <laughs> so I missed about five, 10 minutes or something like that. But she, I think she recognized what I loved and you know, she, she bent to my will, <laughs> I guess. I love you, mama, I miss you so much. Uh, Super Bowl 11 though was one of those. 
I, I loved the beginning of Super Bowl Eleven and the guy, you know, if you ever watch it, the 30-minute version is, you know, you hear it, one, two, we know what to do. You hear the band, boom, 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 and the guy's dancing, this black cat that's got the 70s hat on, and he's doing his elbows, looks like they're not even attached to his body, and he's doing a little dance, and you hear um, uh, Bill King comes on, you know, and he's like, we're... Uh, we're here at Super Bowl Eleven, and then you got Kirk Gowdy and um, and uh, Don Meredith. All, you know they're calling the game and everything, and they get the you know the the pregame little thing. They had the camera in their face while they're giving giving this thing. We're about to bring to you the Eleventh Super Sunday Super Bowl. I used to have that committed to memory. I don't remember, but I have them all on my iPad, by the way. But anyway, I'm I'm just saying I'm rambling a little bit in the first ten minutes, <laughs> but I mean. It was the Oakland Raiders versus the Minnesota Vikings. And I don't care how many times I watch some of those, I almost feel like the Vikings still, to this day, still have a chance, you know, because the Vikings finally came back and scored a touchdown, unlike what they didn't do. Uh, I think it was back in Super Bowl eight against the Vikings. No, 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 no. I mean, no, against the Vikings. No, they, they scored. Now I'm thinking about the Dolphins. The Dolphins actually scored. Uh, they did not score in Super Bowl six. Uh, but um, I, I'm thinking, ah, oh, they, they can do it. They they can make this game close. Nah, you know, 32 to 14, it, it was not it was not close. The Raiders put a beat down on the Vikings in the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California. It was not it was a home game, a glorified home game, and it was fitting that the Raiders finished on top in the state of California. The World Championship that had eluded them for years finally came in 1976. The Oakland Raiders dominated in that game. And I'll ask this question. When you say the Raiders, the Oakland Raiders, I'm not talking about the Vegas Raiders or even the Los Angeles Raiders, really, which I still kind of respect that, just to be honest with you. And all, all love out to you, Las Vegas, but the Raiders belong to California, man. I mean, they're in Vegas now. I mean, in, in the state of Nevada, but it, it, that's a California team. Um, I'll just stop there. I don't want y'all not liking me or unfollowing me or stop listening to me, but... Uh, just love what you got, Vegas. Love what you got, okay? There's the Raiders. You, what do you think about John Madden, Tom Flores? Yeah, that's great, but it's Al Davis. Silver and black, commitment to excellence. Just win, baby. The autumn wind. You know what I mean? The black hole, you know, where the fans are. They're scary. I would never go to a Raiders home game unless I'm a Raiders fan, and I'm not a Raiders fan. I'm a Steelers fan. I would never go <laughs> Never. I'm not that brave. But, you know, the, all the great players that they had, Ken Stabler and Marcus Allen and Lester Hayes, Jim Otto, Gene Upshaw, Art Shell, Dave Casper, you know, Mark Van Egan, Phil Villapiano, you know, Foo, F-U, you know what I mean? Otis Sistrunk, who I did not know this guy was in Car Wash. I didn't know that was him in Car Wash. I did not know. Yeah, yeah. Car wash, the, the cook, the fry cook that's in the kitchen on, on the movie Car Wash that's got the butter that, that falls on the, on the top of his head. That's Otis Sistrunk, the ball guy. Yeah, that's him. Uh, Willie Brown. You know, I can keep going. Cliff Branch and Fred Bletnikoff. Clarence Davis, George Atkinson. Jack Tatum, Ray Guy. Ted Hendricks, Willie Hall, John Matusak, Dave Dalby. Rod Martin, Jim Plunkett. I mean, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. So, I mean, it's, it's the Raiders. It's the Raiders. 
This team did have humble beginnings. When they started off in 1960, they were a last-second add to the AFL, the American Football League. All right, so the umpteenth league, right, the one that actually lasted for a while. And they weren't great. They they were not great. They, all right, The first year, they were, what, six and eight? And then they won nine. They actually won nine games in their first three seasons. Nine. They were bad. They were mad. They were very, very bad. Uh, and this was until Al Davis was hired as the as the head coach from the San Diego Chargers, the wide receiver coach from the San Diego Chargers. Uh, and by the way, he was born on the Fourth of July. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. You know, happy belated birthday, a day late. There, Al Davis, rest in peace. Um, in '64, he got them to ten and four. Now they took a dip in '65 to five, seven, and two, but then '66, '67. Then they, they really got on a roll. 66, they were 8-5-1, and, five and one, but 67, uh, 67, they were 13-1, and one, and they proceeded to go on to the Super Bowl. Another little thing I didn't know, Manny Fernandez, who grew up uh, as an avid Raiders fan, wasn't happy that they did draft him. <laughs> By the way, we talked about the Dolphins last week, right? You know, and he being the great defensive lineman that he was, and, you know, one of his, actually his last play was the sea of hands game he had the late hit in the end zone still trying to drive that ball loose from clarence davis and he was the team that he wanted to play for was the team you know he ended his career against as a miami dolphin that's pretty crazy so you know they finally got to super, to the super bowl they got to the pinnacle and i mean lombardi's packers were still you know they were the dynasty and that was the last super bowl win for the Packers for a long time, you know, but that was the last of the dynasty championships and it was not pretty for the Oakland Raiders. I mean, the Raiders got, they got a beat down in that game, you know, in Super Bowl. <laughs> so, you know, 33 to 14 was not kind, but I mean, they got there and they were establishing themselves as one of the great teams in the NFL. And that was a lot due to Al Davis. And if you know anything about what happened with Al Davis, Al Davis actually, you know, he, he was the head coach for a couple of years. In 66, he was actually appointed to be the AFL's commissioner. This was before they decided to eventually merge the NFL and AFL. Once they did that, there was no sense in having an AFL commissioner because it was going to be, you know, all Pete Rozelle. So he had ended up coming back, being part owner and ended up being the owner of the Raiders eventually um, and his coach that he handpicked when he left to be the commissioner was John Roush and Roush was the coach there and I mean things didn't work out all the way uh, 69 he ends up um, hiring John Madden to be the next head coach of the Raiders and you know off you go Yet this was even after a 12-2 and record in 68 We'll get to that a little bit later. Now, the loss in Vince Lombardi's finale to the Dynasty Packers by the Raiders was just the first of many heartbreaks during the 1970s. Eventually, it would pay off in 1976, but good Lord. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team, Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. 
It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. Here's to the great American settlers. The millions of you who settled for unsatisfying jobs because they pay the bills. Of course, there is something else you could do if you got something to say. Start a podcast with Spreaker from iHeart and unleash your creative freedom. Maybe even earn enough money to one day tell your old boss, hey, I'm no settler. I'm an explorer. Spreaker.com. S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R. Hustle on over today. One thing I always think about in sports is, you know, when you have a team that's been really good but couldn't get over the hump. And actually the first team that I think about a lot is the Dallas Mavericks. Now, I'm, I, I honestly can't think off the top of my head how many of those great years. I'm not saying that they were number one all the time as far as their record, but they always finish with such a good record. And it's like, okay, they could probably be one of the teams to win it out of the West or whatever. And it just it, it seemed to never happen. They would be good. It'd be good. They'd be good. And, you know, they, they finally, finally broke through. This was the Dirk Nowitzki and Mark Cuban Mavericks. You know, it was just it, – it's kind of like one of those things that just stood out to me about the Dallas Mavericks, a team that always got close but never could get over the hump, of course. They won it all in, what was that, 2006, the first year, 2005, 2006, when they beat – that first incarnation of the LeBron, D-Wade, you know, their big three, <laughs> the, the Miami three, you know, uh, uh, Bosh Wade and, of course, LeBron. And, um, you know, they, they did it, and, you know, all, all credit. But you also have to remember that you have to go through something, right? You have to go through some things. Chicago Bulls, they had to slick wait out the greatness of the Boston Celtics and the Detroit Pistons before finally breaking through them themselves yeah they beat the Pistons and I'm sure you know there were games where they beat the Boston Celtics obviously I'm not saying that the Bulls weren't great they were you know but you had multiple Hall of Famers playing against Michael at one point and all of those guys who Pippen wasn't there yet and then when Pippen did get there he wasn't ready just he wasn't Scotty Pippen yet okay you have to cook a little bit you gotta let him cook even the microwave you gotta put it in there and hit some time on there even if it's 10 seconds, but they weren't ready yet, right? Many other examples. You know, you could probably say the same thing about the Oakland Raiders. By the late 60s, they had some really good teams, some really great teams, but they definitely had to pay a price. Just like all the great sports franchises before, they won their first title. You have to go through something. If there was ever a champion that paid the price more before finally winning it all, it had to be the Oakland Raiders. Painful price. Let us count the ways. Kick the music. 1968 AFL Championship. It was a rematch of the famous Heidi game from earlier that year. You know, the Raiders scored two touchdowns in nine seconds on national TV to beat the Jets. But the Eastern viewers missed all of that because the movie Heidi started right at 7 o'clock on NBC. Yeah, that game. The Raiders were leading in the AFL Championship 23-20 with about eight minutes left to go in the fourth quarter after George Atkinson actually picked off Joe Namath, something that Joe Namath did a lot of, and returned it for a touchdown. 
the jet uh the jets drive and after a name of the don maynard bomb gets the jets down to the 12 atkinson again was on the coverage on that play by the way maynard beat him again for the go-ahead touchdown and then quarterback daryl LaMonica, this is before snake ken stabler you know took over He's driving the Raiders down again with two minutes and 20 seconds left, something like that. And LaMonica throws the football behind Charlie Smith. And it was ruled, it was clearly a backwards pass that was ruled a fumble. And the Jets scoop it up, and that's the ball game. Oops. Yeah. Then there's the next year, the 69 AFL Championship. The Raiders beat the Kansas City Chiefs twice, I believe, during the regular season. All right, the game's tied at seven third quarter and it's third and long Kansas City has the ball on their own two yard line this is key this is key remember third quarter game is tied at seven Kansas City has the ball on their own two yard line quarterback Lynn Dawson completes a 35 yard pass down the right sideline to Otis Taylor you know the Hall of Fame wide receiver big first down obviously right except for one thing he makes the catch but one of his two feet come down out of bounds it's never called out of bounds. They, they ruled it a catch. It's Are on the Kansas serious? City sideline. <laughs> Let's just be real. I'm just being real. But, I mean, woulda, coulda, shoulda. I understand that. But if it's your team, Diggable Planets, don't know if y'all know who they are, but they once said in one of their songs, the situation would surely change if you were to find yourself in it. So, <laughs> it's, it's, I mean... Kansas City, they led, later on, they scored. They did score on that drive. And this is after a pass interference penalty that kept the drive going even more. And it made it 14 to 7. And uh, there was a 22 yard field goal in the fourth quarter. Jan Stenerud kicked that to make the final score 17 to 7. And the Kansas City Chiefs go on to Super Bowl IV. Of course, they beat the Minnesota Vikings in that game to win a championship. I mean, no doubt. The 69 Raiders were really good. They were 12-1-1 in that season. I mean, what, what else do you want? Do you think they were the best team or not? Yeah. They were playing in Oakland. The Chiefs had to go through Oakland, right? So, I mean, you know, it's, it's crazy. And it, it's crazy. So, Daryl LaMonica, you know, it doesn't help when he jams his thumb on his throwing hand in that third quarter the same one they complete that big pass to Otis Taylor it also doesn't help when LaMonica throws three picks <laughs> you shoot your own self in the foot at some point and it definitely doesn't help when he jams his thumb and they bring in old man George Blanda and he throws another interception so I mean you don't help yourself and then there's the 1972 divisional playoffs Raiders fans do not want to even talk about they don't want to talk about the immaculate reception if you don't know what it was fourth quarter Steelers haven't won a playoff game ever, right? This was their first ever playoff win. Seconds are ticking away as the time is expiring. Bradshaw is scrambling, trying to get out of trouble. He ducks up under one tackle. He sees his running back, uh, Frenchie Fuqua, down the field. He just launches a pass over the middle. At the same time the ball arrives, uh, Jack Tatum, the safety, he uh, he tattoos Fuqua, okay? And the ball appears to hit both he and Fuqua. Now, everybody, well, Raiders fans will say the ball clearly came off of Frenchie Fuqua. You can't have um, offensive player to offensive player completion. The ball should have been, if that happens, then that ball should have been ruled incomplete from the jump. Well, 
the the ball ricochets off of somebody <laughs> and it, it just inches from the ball uh, from the ground of course Frank, uh, franco harris famously snatches the ball up right gets his hands up on it right before it hits the ground races in for a touchdown steelers win and you know there you go and not to mention that the steelers actually pushed those 72 dolphins the next week in three rivers which it was weird the dolphins were undefeated and you would think yeah they're supposed to be hosting the game down in miami but that's not how it went that, that there was a rotation so you didn't get home field advantage okay you didn't necessarily get home field advantage at one point but i mean and I, what i did not know is that i think the game was delayed for several several minutes after that play happened it wasn't touchdown oh, and everybody runs into the field and the game was over no that's not what happened the officials actually discussed it for a while and you know they said touchdown pittsburgh and that was it everybody go home <laughs> including the raiders so there you go and then the seven not to mention the 74 and 75 afc championship losses to the Pittsburgh Steelers en route to the Steelers Super Bowl championship win. The first one was 24. Both games were tight for the most part. One, they played on a frozen field. Um, I mean, you gotta play. You gotta play. You know, there was condensation that they that the Raiders complained about. Uh, down, but both teams played on the same field. And Al Davis actually complained that their, their stabler to Cliff Branch combination wasn't going to be able to be you know what i mean it wasn't going to be if you're going to have to run on ice which is essentially what happened and i think that if i look, remember the stats correctly i think that cliff branch caught two balls in the entire game the last one was at the very end as you know he was tackled as time ran out so you know that that was big and that was in the 75 afc championship close game and I'm not even going to get into the 80s, uh, you know, playoffs. We're talking about the 70s right now. Well, for all these years that the Raiders came up short because of penalties or non-penalties, lucky plays, they benefited during the 76 playoffs. In the AFC Divisional Playoff game against the New England Patriots, and we've talked about this before, the Patriots were the only team to beat the Raiders that season. I believe the score was 48 to 17. They put a beat down on, okay? The Raiders in the fourth quarter, they drive down to the Patriots 29-yard line late in the fourth quarter. They're down 21 to 17. Third down and 18. Stabler drops back to pass, throws a deep ball down the left sideline to running back uh, Carl Garrett. It falls incomplete. You think the driver's over, right? Nope. Uh -uh. Patriots defensive end, Sugar Bear Hamilton. He's called for that personal foul, roughing the passer penalty because it's right forearm hit snake right upside the head and they get a, they catch a break finally finally catch a break and then they cashed it in stable kept the football for a touchdown that won the game 24 to 21 and they go on to the afc championship and look i know raiders fans they're not going to want to hear this i don't care i'm a steelers fan and the oakland raiders uh they will meet for the third year in a row in the afc championship look no shade there's just one problem there was no Rocky Blyer or Franco Harris. And this is what you also have to remember. They were the number three and number four rushing uh, guys in the AFC. Not just on the team. In the entire AFC. You got 
two of the top five running backs in the entire AFC that's not playing in this game. Nevertheless, all right. They were both down, and, uh, you know, their, you know, running backs are gone. They're not playing in this game. The Raiders, they dominated the game, period, okay? If you don't call that a break, I don't know what it is. But Ken Stabler said during the documentary that when the Raiders were beaten by the Steelers, they didn't have any excuses. Well, how about the supposed icy field in 1974? I mean, I'm just saying, not to mention, to my knowledge, they were not missing any stars at all. Pittsburgh got beat, though, 24-7. And let's be real, the Steelers' offensive backfield aside, they still had that steel curtain defense, right? And I'm a Steelers fan, okay? I have to be fair to a certain degree. So, I would say that the game that made it official, though, was, you know, that the 70s Raiders were done was this 1977 AFC Championship game in Denver. The 1977 AFC Championship, just to set this up, you know, it needs to be known that the Oakland Raiders had a lot of injuries that year and still finished with an 11-3 record, okay? Oakland had finished second to Denver in the AFC West that season. Um, and then there was that miracle in Baltimore in the divisional round of the playoffs. Anybody remember the Ghost of the Post on Christmas Eve, 1977? Tight end Dave Casper's 42-yard catch, uh, you know, over the shoulder, almost like um, like Willie Mays, you know, between two, de- two, three defenders, two defenders, something like that. And, you know, he catches that ball from Kenny Stabler with two minutes and some change left in the fourth. And that catch led to the game tying field goal which led them to overtime, which led to a game-winning touchdown pass from Stabler to Casper. On to the next round. At Mile High Stadium, though, a fumble that wasn't called that still upsets Raiders fans to this day. I even heard from the lips of Al Davis that they'll win that game if that fumble is recovered by the Raiders. He just said it straight up. You know, I'm not going to call the man a liar, but, I mean, the game was tight. It was third quarter, and, you know, Denver is up 7-3. It's first and goal Denver. Craig Morton, yes, the former quarterback of the Cowboys, hands off to Rob Lytle right up the middle. I watched this play. There's no doubt. He fumbled. He fumbled. Jack Tatum nailed him. Nailed Rob Lytle. And he fumbled. And he hurt him, too. They had to walk the guy off the field. The cameras from the end zone show that it was crystal clear. Now, after that, I can't speak much more. You know, after that loss, though, the Raiders would follow with back-to-back 9-7 seasons in 1978 and 79. Not up to Raiders standards at all, much less the standards of Al Davis. But there will be many wholesale changes made to the roster after that 76 championship. And it's not always the worst thing in the world. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Here's to the great American settlers. The millions of you who settled for unsatisfying jobs because they pay the bills. Of course, there is something else you could do if you got something to say. Start a podcast with Spreaker from iHeart and unleash your creative freedom 
maybe even earn enough money to one day tell your old boss, hey, I'm no settler, I'm an explorer. Spreaker.com, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R. Hustle on over today. In 1976, the Oakland Raiders went 13-1, and and they avenged their loss to the only team that beat them during the regular season, the New England Patriots, in that game, and they went on to the Super Bowl, and they dominated the Super Bowl. They dominated the Minnesota Vikings in that game in Pasadena, California, and it was just great. Um, we talked about John Madden not long after he passed away last year. And his his best friend, uh, John Robinson, they played in his home stadium because I think at the time he was uh, the, the head coach at USC, I think it was. Uh, and, you know, that, that was his best friend being at the game, then winning his first championship, his only championship in that stadium. And the Raiders finally reaching the top that they, it just eluded them for so long. But John Madden would retire from football in 1979, you know, just a couple of seasons later. And his reasoning wasn't as simple as you could just say it. You know, if anyone knows, I mean, Madden retired to be with his family. And he said that uh, that mo- much during that documentary, you know, that he didn't. And at the at the podium during his press conference, he said he didn't have anything else to give. He had given everything and put everything in football that he absolutely possibly could. According to Peter Richmond, an author of one of these great books that I'm reading, Madden was described as tired and worn. And he clearly was dealing with an ulcer as well. So that, that means stress. There's some stress coming from somewhere. All right. I'm not going to pinpoint it. I'm not going to try. Uh, God rest his soul. But Player said that, you know, he would destroy a bottle of Maalox. Uh, he, he carried one in his back pocket during games. And he would finish an entire bottle during practice. And I emphasize practice. We talk about practice. Yeah, we talk about practice. He's he's drinking Maalox during practice. So airplane travel, that was another thing. It didn't help either. He had a phobia about that. See the Madden bus once he became a commentator. And that 78 season was also when Daryl Stingley, the, the uh, Patriots receiver, that was paralyzed against the Raiders, you know, with the Jack Tatum hit. Madden actually said that, quote, that was a factor, but not the reason, end quote. Madden was one of many in a mass exodus of players at the end of the 78 and 79 seasons. So if you want to take a look back at that great team that was built, you know, with a Hall of Fame quarterback, Hall of Fame offensive lineman, I believe two Hall of Fame receivers, you know, well, Three Hall of Fame receivers, not just, you know, two with Dave Casper and uh, Fred Bletnikoff. I don't think, you know, Cliff Branch hasn't gotten in there. Just me. If Lynn Swan is in there doing what he did, I believe that Cliff Branch should be in there as well. That's just my personal feeling. No bias at all. The one thing you need to know about Michael Neal Jr. when it comes to football, yeah, I'm a fan of the Pittsburgh Steelers, but I'm even I'm more of a fan of football, period. So I'm not that myopic guy or the guy that just, you know, can't say, you know, a, a word. I mean, that that's reserved for, 
extreme fans. You know, that's that's not me. <laughs> I like that part of me. But, you know, you go back and you look at this team. I'll just give you a couple of the players that were key who start with the quarterback, Ken Stabler. I mean, the snake, he stunk it up in 1978. It didn't help that he was the highest paid player either. He was making 342 grand a year, which is big money back then. And keep this in mind, he actually won the 1974 NFL MVP in Offensive Player of the Year. So Snake wasn't very bad. You know what? I'm going to throw something else in there, some, some stuff that I did not realize from reading another book. If you put a comparison between he and Joe Namath, his numbers were better than Joe Namath. His completion percentage, better than Joe Namath. Uh, his interception to quarter, uh, interception to touchdown ratio, even though they threw more interceptions than touchdowns, it was still better than Joe Namath. Both of these guys have championships. They do have rings. But to go further than that, not just AFL championships. I mean, <laughs> Snake actually has an AFC championship as well. So I mean, not to harp on that, you know, no shade Jet fans or, or Joe Namath, but this guy belonged in the Hall of Fame just as much as Joe Namath did, Ken Stabler. And I'm glad he got in. But, I mean, you make that much money per year, you can't make that much money and throw 30 interceptions and only 16 touchdowns. See what I'm talking about? You can't do that. Stabler was traded to the Houston Oilers. He wasn't the only one. <laughs> he was traded to the Houston Oilers for quarterback Dan Pastorini. Of course, Pastorini was the Raiders starter when he broke his leg five game, games into the season in 1980. Of course, Jim Plunkett would take over. All right, some great things happening at the end of that season. And he would be joined by Dave Casper, his tight end, uh, with the uh, traded to the Oilers as well. Um, he spent a couple seasons there before being brought back to the Raiders in 84, and then he retired. So there you go. The offensive lineman like Gene Upshaw in 81, he retired. Uh, he was, of course, head of the NFLPA for years up until his death in 2008. Art Shell, he retired by 1982. In 89, he became the first full-time African-American head coach in NFL history with the Raiders. Not the first black quarter black coach with the Raiders. Not just that, but period. Yeah, the first full-time head coach. Dave Dalby, who replaced Hall of Fame center Jim Otto in 1975, he wanted him to be in the starting center all the way through 1986. These are important cogs in the Raider machine that got them to that 76 championship. Mark Van Egan, he played until 1981. He finished his last two seasons with the New England Patriots. He left the Raiders as the franchise's all-time leading rusher, at least until Marcus Allen came through, right? Clarence Davis, who ran for 137 yards on just 16 carries in that Super Bowl XI win against Minnesota. He arguably could have been Super Bowl XI MVP. And just like Fred Blenikoff, who actually won MVP, he didn't score a touchdown. He didn't. Uh, Fred, both Fred and Clarence, they they um, basically they set up all the Raiders touchdowns. That's what they did. But a knee injury that he had for approximately three years finally forced him into retirement a little bit early. Ultimately, the trade was made with the Houston Oilers that brought, <clears throat> brought in Mark Van Egan's backfield mate, and Clarence Davis replacement in the form of Kenny King. If you remember Kenny King, Raiders fans do. King had a then Super Bowl record 80-yard touchdown uh, touchdown reception 
uh, in Super Bowl 15. Fred Belitnikoff, he was just old, man. 34 years old in 78. He lost his starting job to Morris Bradshaw, and then he retired after the season. Cliff Branch, he stuck with it all the way through 1985. Was still doing it. Although, <clears throat> I think it was in 78 or 79, he only caught one touchdown pass. I believe it was in 78. Yeah. You know, so things weren't great, you know, for the receivers. Uh, not until a couple years later. Now, Fu, big-time linebacker, Phil Villapiano, that 77 season where the Raiders had multiple injuries, Villapiano suffered a torn knee uh, against the Steelers in week two, and he blamed it on that turf. His knee got caught trying to come back and make a tackle, and the man fell on his knee and tore it up. Now, he wasn't the same, even though he came back in 1978, but by 1980, he was traded to the Buffalo Bills. Hello, Ken Johnson. <laughs> in exchange for wide receiver Don Chandler, who started opposite Cliff Branch and caught 10 touchdown passes in that 80 season to help the Raiders upset the Eagles in the Super Bowl. Otis Sistrunk, I told you about him. I mean, he retired in 1978. I had no idea the man was the fry cook in car wash. If you don't know, go back and watch Car Wash. Okay, yeah, the one that had Richard Pryor on the front of the box, and Richard Pryor was in the movie, what, five minutes? Yeah, but, you know, that sold it, didn't it? Then there's the Soul Patrol. Who knows who the Soul Patrol is? Yeah, it was the Raiders' defensive backfield. That's Willie Brown, George Atkinson, Jack Tatum, and Skip Thomas. All right, Skip Thomas, he had a really short career. Uh, Dr. Death retired in 1977. He had that, he had that perm, man. <laughs> My dude had that perm. He was pretty good, though. Um, George Atkinson, he actually played until, I think it was 1977. And then he, he was out for, I still don't know, he was out for a year, 78. He missed the whole season and was back from, you know, for 79. And then he was gone. And he was gone. Pray for the man. He's suffering from CTE even as we speak, man. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Jack Taylor. Um, another Raider great traded to the Houston Oilers in 1980. So you know, despite a career high seven interceptions with the with the Oilers that year, he was cut after the year was over. Now he did retire after that year, and he actually went to work for the Raiders. Pretty cool. Uh, and then there's Willie Brown, old man Willie. Willie Brown, uh, he had that game ceiling 75 yard interception return of uh, Fran Tarkenton in Pasadena that day in Super Bowl eleven, He retired after the 78 season and he left the same time as John Madden. So, you know, he was replaced by Lester Hayes. That's pretty good. That's very good. Ray Guy, let's face it, kickers could play forever. Ray Guy, he played with the Raiders all the way to 1986 and he goes off to the Hall of Fame. Tan Hendricks, the Mad Stark, he got to the Raiders in 75 and the Hall of Fame linebacker retired after making his eighth Pro Bowl and collecting his fourth Super Bowl ring when they won Super Bowl 18 in 1983. Don't forget, he played for the Baltimore Colts back in 1970 in Super Bowl V. So, I mean, he had some really, really great players and you gotta know where they went to. And here's another thing, um, when it comes to the Raiders as a franchise and you go all the way back to the beginning, between 1960 and 1979, the Oakland Raiders actually had the NFL's highest winning percentage. That's astounding. That, I mean, that's something to think about. Now, I told you about how the um, 
Dallas Cowboys, they had the highest winning percentage in the 70s, which that was great. They won, what, 70-plus percent of their game, something like that. And, I mean, they had Super Bowl appearances to show for it, and they got them two trophies as well. But the Raiders, they're tops. The Cowboys were number two. Dolphins were number three, and these are guys that was all above 60, 62, and then 64% for the Raiders. The Browns, 59%. The Colts, the same, 59%. Rams, then Vikings, then Packers, Chiefs, and Steelers. But, I mean, in, in between that that um, entire era right there from 60 to 79, that's big. Now, after losing Super Bowl II against the Green Bay Packers in 68, <laughs> Oakland, they had seven division titles that they won in eight years. And between 70 and 77, they played in six AFC championship games. They won 66 regular season games between 1972 and 1977 to lead the NFL. That was a great team that should have been even greater by the number of Super Bowls that they should have won. But, you know, fate just sometimes is just not on your side all the time. I looked up the most AFC Championship appearances in the 70s, and the Raiders and the Steelers are tied for the most with six apiece. Problem is, the Steelers won four of those. The Raiders were one in five. Of course, you know, before there was an AFC, the Raiders went to three straight championship games, you know, 67, 68, and 69. Anyway, you slice it, though. Between 67 and 75, the Raiders, they lost to the eventual Super Bowl champ almost every single time with the exception of the 72 divisional game, the Immaculate Reception game. All right, the AFC title game is 77 to the Broncos. Talk about pain, you know what I mean? Super Bowl II to the Packers. The AFL Championship game to the Jets. The AFL Championship game to the Chiefs. The AFC Championship game to the Colts. Three straight AFC title games were lost to the Dolphins and twice to the Steelers. That's crazy. And to me, like I said, the better teams that the Raiders had were the ones in the 1970s. And they only had one championship. And they had 10 Hall of Fame players during that period. Okay? And I'm not even including Hall of Fame owner Al Davis, Hall of Fame executive at the time Ron Wolf, Hall of Fame coaches John Madden, and then the wide receivers coach Tom Flores, who replaced Madden in 1979. A year later, the Raiders became the first wildcard team to win it all when they defeated the Philadelphia Eagles in Super Bowl 15. Let me slow down. I'm talking too fast. And in 82, during the strike-shortened season, they were 8-1. I believe that was the league best. But they were upsetting the tournament-style playoffs, you know, because of the strike-shortened season, you know. They had to redo the playoffs. And the New York Jets got them. Still don't know how that happened. In 83, they were 12-4, and four, and they put a beat down on the Washington football team, 38-9. And that was a, you know, a Super Bowl that a lot of people would never forget. Marcus Allen, 17 Bob Trey O. You know the play, Raiders fans. <laughs> and they knew it was coming. And he cut it back, and, you know, that 74 yards later, that was it. And that was a, you know, it was a get-back game. And they lost a shootout during the regular season to Washington. And uh, it was just not, I mean, they were full of all pros, Washington was. They had Charlie Brown and, and Joe Theismann. Some people say Theismann. I understand that's how you actually say his name. But um, John Riggins and, and all those great guys on defense as well as the Hogs. And it just did not work that day. It did not work out. It did not work out. 
but Tampa was very kind to the Raiders. 84 and 85, they were 11 and 5 and 12 and 4. And this is to be noted. If you go all the way back, you know, when Al Davis took over the Raiders, okay, when they had that 5 7 and 2 season in 1964, they didn't have a losing season again until 1986. And they were 8 and 8. Uh, well, they take that wasn't a losing season. And in 86, they were 8 and 8. So, you know, not until 87 when they were 5 and 10 did they have a losing season. I mean, that's greatness. I don't know how else to slice that. They were a great franchise. And yet they got two more Super Bowls than they had that they probably should have gotten in the 70s. The 70s teams were the better team, period. I respect the 80s Raiders, the early 80s Raiders. But those 70s teams, hands down, they were better. And if I I can't explain to you any better, just go back and watch the games yourselves. You know, so the Raiders, they were in the playoffs in 84 and 85, uh, but they lost in the wild card in the divisional rounds, respectively. They were never able to repeat the greatness enjoyed in the 60s, the late 60s, that is, and throughout most of the 70s. Of course, Flores led them to those two Super Bowl victories. Um, but when the Raiders finally broke through in 76, going back to that, they beat a franchise that had replaced, they had replaced in the Minnesota Vikings. A team that was dominant in their own right in the NFC during the 1970s. We'll get into that more on the next episode. No show again next week. I'm on vacation, and this was a little bit longer than usual. I don't care. Enjoy it. I'm taking my family down to Gulf Shores and Orange Beach. I need it. I, I, I got to have it. References, let's get to them. Thanks to New York Times late injuries set up Raiders downfall. This was written. December 6, 1977 by Leonard Coppett of the New York Times. Also, ProFootballHallOfFame.com, StatMuse, ProFootballReference.com. Also, the book, Forgive Me, Badasses, The Legend of Snake, Foo, Dr. Death, and John Madden's Oakland Raiders. This was written by Peter Richmond. Very, very good book. I will say this, Mr. Richmond, if you ever hear this show, boy, you are a Raiders fan. <laughs> This was written from the with the pen of a Raiders fan. There's, there's no denying that. Also, America's Game, the NFL at 100, co-written by Jerry Rice, you know who he is, and Randy O. Williams. Also, Tales from the Oakland Raiders Sideline, a collection of the greatest Raider stories ever told. This was by Tom Flores, written along with Matt Folks. I hope I said his name correctly. And lastly, the Sporting News Complete Super Bowl Book. Yeah, the 1993 edition. Uh, and the editors, we got three of those. And that was Tom Dinert, Joe Hopple, and Dave Sloan, all of the Sporting News. This has been the Behind the Mic Podcast presented by Belly of Sports. Also, the Belly of Sports Podcast Network. That's one of my part of. This is great. BellyofSports.com. Again, go on it, click on it, read the stories, check out all of our shows, especially mine, on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Tell all your friends and family about this show, or I'll find your house. I'm on vacation, so I have plenty of time, and I work for FedEx. I'm out.